Chapter 26 Run, you poofy goat. The Annual Purpose Presentation Grounds Carnival Fourth Grade My dream lands me on the Gravitron. Miri is on the pad next to mine, and we're spinning. The ride hits full speed, and our pads float up, slamming to the top. Everyone is screaming. High G's are tickling my guts. I love it. I'm laughing like mad and can't help it. I manage to turn my head. There's Miri, smile so wide it could eat both her ears. Her eyes meet mine and tell me to watch this. Some pop song is getting ripped to shreds in the spin. Flashing lights are being stretched like taffy. Miri's face is a fun struggle as her goddess arm pushes against the pad. She fights gravity and wins. Rotating half a spin toward me, she's off her pad now, palms to the wall. Another half spin to her back, and one more lands her onto me. We're one thing. Miri's chest pressed to mine. We're a planet's core, a nougat center. She's laughing right into my ear. Life is but a blur, spinning Miri's full happy weight through my bones. All I can do is smile. I wake up to the same weight, and my reality is the child of a dream come true, stillborn and cold. A gas station honey bun slaps me in the face. A tiny bag of cereal lands on my head. Sammy is serving breakfast. Continental. The camp breaks quietly. Haruki gathers trash and disposes of it in the coals before Brad extinguishes them, hooving sprays of dirt backward until the smoke stops. We convene at the forest's edge. Stay close, Yolandi tells us. Always within sight. No ceremony to it. We follow her into the trees. The shift is immediate. It feels like stepping through the front door of an entirely new world. The temperature drops, and a strange breeze crochets through air tinted blue-green. Pine and perfume and lavender and lily, all peppered with the pleasant musk of decay and newness. The smell is amazing. Each sense blends onomatopoeically into the next. The forest is a song, aesthetically composing itself like a living painting, breathing and making noise. The beauty is lost on no one, even Sammy, especially Sia. Only moments in, she stops walking. We all join her, taking a chance to absorb this setting. The trees are massive, each one a hundred feet high and hitting the ground with a circumference that could lasso us comfortably. Crimson red, like Miri's hair, their skin appears soft, shingled with a bark more like powder. The spinning wind steals fine mists of the tree's color, carrying it away in quick patterns, spiraling dust to vanish again inside the blue-green. The high canopy is dyed a concentrated and vivid shade of the same. A composite pine and aqua fluorescence, the mosaic sways like a crystallized lagoon. Sharp pitches of sky turn in snowflake angles, spinning a kaleidoscope between leaves. 
with pinks and purples and loud pastels, bright flowers cut like shattered, stained glass through the color scheme. Vines decorated with similar blooms hang weightless as jellyfish skirts, dancing downward from the bottom of it all. And beneath our feet, a moss-covered root system sprouts in and out of the ground like an arborary octopus cemetery. I watch my sister as she rearranges the details surrounding her into rough sketches and pencils them to memory. I know the way that creativity can grip you. I know how forcibly its need to be realized can crop the rest of the world away to loose scraps. Outside of Miri, that feeling is exactly what I lived for. Love Miri, right. Love Miri, right. The entire equation of my joy was binary. That simple. Watching the creative wonder written all over Sia's face, I searched to see if some evidence of it is still left in me. Yolandi interrupts. Her voice is respectful, but serious. We need to keep moving, she says. Night comes much earlier here, and much darker. Deeper in, it isn't long before tangled roots become most of the forest floor, and climbing up, down, and over them while carrying Miri proves impossible. Hold tight. Haruki has a bright idea. Sammy, give me the pup tent and the extra poles. Some stray comment about his extra pole, and Sammy hands them over. Five minutes later, Haruki's fashioned a small, square stretcher. Tent poles run through the fabric and extend out from either side to serve as handles. He places it on the ground in front of me and positions himself on one, waiting for Sammy to get the other. Sammy declines. I'm here, aren't I? That's all the help he gets. Disappointed and embarrassed, Haruki saves the saying so for later. Del steps up. What do I do? Just lift. The stretcher rises beneath Miri and gives much of her weight to Del and Haruki. We work in tandem, coordinating our steps and taking it slow. We're moving again. The stressed impatience on Yolandi's face warns, not fast enough. The forest is filled with life. I've never experienced a place so unique. The soundtrack enters my ears like bright confetti floating in from everywhere. Birds and insects and things much bigger. Most of the sounds are animals I can't see, either hidden or far away, which is perfectly fine with me. Deciphering and labeling each, Haruki is a forest creature thesaurus. That one's a baboon? A tiny monkey, indigenous, and fun fact, recreationally homosexual. That one's a rainbow finch. They eat each other sometimes. That sound is the friction of a dooku beetle. They sculpt turd balls, skillfully. Ah, and that is the low roar of the pubic elk. Bald except for around its privates. Like me. Del adds, matter of fact. Perked and suddenly statue still, Yolandi stops in her tracks, signaling for us to do the same. Finger to her lips. Shh! 
Brad cocks his head and flaps an ear open. There's a new sound on the air, sticking out in an unsettling way. I don't know that one, whispers Haruki. It sounds like locust bodies stuffed into wooden wind chimes, grainy and clicky and happily inhuman. Coming from every direction, though still removed, it is surrounding us. Brad turns to Yolandi. Blah? Yes, I think so. Brad's eyes widen. Blah? Yes, she repeats. Do you know your way to the clearing? Brad nods in the affirmative. They're here for you. She's talking to me. What's here for me? But Yolandi ignores my question. Again, addressing Brad, you have to make it before dark. We'll be right behind you. She touches his snout. I know you can do it. Brad does not look to share Yolandi's confidence. The sound begins to swell, clicking louder, crawling in sharpened pitch through the trees. What is that? I demand. Shadow birds. Yolandi then tells me to get on, indicating Brad. He approaches my side and lowers, waiting. Shadow what? This is ridiculous. A bird is here for me? They're here for her. She means Miri. You have to go, now. On a poofy goat? You want me to put my legs around that goat? Brad's done listening. A forceful limbo and he's under my and Miri's legs. He stands to full height and my feet lift from the ground. Go, Yolandi screams. And with a slap to Brad's ass, Miri and I saddled heavy, he takes off. Right from the jump, the ride is a rough one. Reaching around Miri, I'm forced to grip the curls of Brad's neck so as not to fall. I yell for him to slow down, stop, let me off. Brad's hearing none of it and quickens his pace. My friends are running now as well, but we're faster by a lot. Nothing left to do besides hold on. Brad is stronger than a donkey. He bobs and weaves and bounds over roots, navigating vines and tree trunks, wearing our weight like a 325-pound jetpack. The sound closes in, and Brad turns it up. Beast mode. My legs against his ribs, I feel him breathing. I feel his heart pounding. It's exhilarating. For the first time since losing Miri, I forget to be sad. I am fully present. It's an absolute rush. Go, Brad! I grip his fleece tighter. Run, you poofy goat, run! The sun is setting unnaturally fast. The darker the forest grows, the louder the shadow birds cry. They're extremely close. The wind howling in my ears gets drowned out. The chorus is made of hundreds, possibly thousands of them. I spot one, and true to its name, it does look like a shadow. Not quite opaque, no distinct shape. The only true density is in the eyes. They're feline sharp and painted a sickly yellow. The bird flashes in front of us, is gone for a moment, then reappears higher up. From just below the canopy, it dives for Brad, talons out, trailing like smoky sickles. Brad leaps, ricocheting off a tree trunk and over the bird's arc, almost losing Miri and me to the effort. Another shadow bird appears, and another... The sun is gone. We navigate by the forest's glow.
Full speed, Brad barely escapes one attack, then the next. The world is a rushing smear. Fast streaks of black and yellow eyes like a swim of small fish darting through the sound. I lose track of everything, just trying to hold on. A hundred yards out, obscured by a pinstripe of trees, a yellow glow warms into sight. Brad fixes on it and kicks into high gear. His heart is thumping. We're in the home stretch. Go, Brad! I assume my jockey slant, aerodynamic and dead serious about this. Go, go! He's slick with it. Aerial spin moves, mean grace. A caprahercus on Nos, Brad dodges them all. Closer, and the yellow brightens. Almost there. Our path is clear. We're winners. We're going to make it. Or not. Most disappointing of finish lines, a shadow bird spreads itself like a spiked ribbon between the final two trees, full wingspan directly in our path, talons wide and waiting. Brad keeps course, lowers his head, charging. Three seconds to impact. Two. One. Miri and I are airborne, soaring easily over the bird. Brad bucks us like scarecrows off a bronco. Impressive finesse, he gives a hard juke and slides, smidging in just beneath the talons. Midair, I look up. No canopy, just slow motion sky and full moon. I stay there a moment. The sight is quickly replaced by a fast approaching forest floor. Miri hits first. Two of my fingers land wrong beneath her weight and bend back, very much broken. Miri and I tumble to a stop. Brad's momentum grinds to a halt. We turn around just in time to catch another shadow bird beelining its ambitions directly at us. It connects with the moonlight and explodes, disappearing into a vapor of itself. More arrive, many, but decline the same mistake. They wait at the clearing's edge, circling like sharks. Adrenaline-faced and breathing heavy, I follow Brad's eyes to my hand. I haven't noticed my broken fingers or the clump of poofy fur the good ones are gripped around. A tertiary plot point of negative significance, it doesn't matter. The action is still moving. We still have friends out there. Sia is close. I can hear her. So can the shadow birds. They depart from Brad and me, heading in her direction. She is playing flag football ballerina. She makes it, of course. Full sprint, she leaps into the clearing like a gazelle, landing in a tumble roll and pivoting back, watching breathlessly for the rest of our party. Dell's next in line, running at impressive speed and waving his hatchet wildly. He nicks a wing and draws a pained shriek from the bird, reaching the moonlight with another in hot pursuit. No breaking, it collides with the clearing and explodes. Yolandi's right on his heels. She ducks a talon, losing a chunk of hair to it, and stumbles into the circle. Together, we watch the trees for our remaining friends. Sammy has too much in his pack. Games and junk food, his burden is a greedy stifle. Tangentially compromised, Haruki refuses to outrun him. By clumsy grace of dumb luck, Sammy clod hops into the clearing, safe, gobbling up the last crumbs of our party's good fortune. None left for Haruki. His foot clips a root and he goes down. A shadow bird perches in sure kill position as others hover above. 
Refusing the opportunity, it holds steady, waiting for Haruki to rise. On his feet again, Haruki returns no similar courtesies and makes for the clearing. To his surprise, and ours, the bird allows it. It moves aside and lets him pass, almost as if ushering him in, encouraging his last step to safety, a talon brushes his arm. A little goodbye from the shadow bird, barely breaking the skin. With mere paper-cut negation to without-a-scratch success, miraculously, we've all made it. The birds come back to life. Circling up once more, they create a spinning wall of black around the clearing, little yellow eyes flashing open and closed. The sound returns, clicking, groaning, a patient pleasure breathing through the pitch of it. It's just a cut! Sammy takes Haruki by the wrist, desperate with relief. It's just a cut! It's only a little cut! Then turning to Yolandi, right? It's just a cut, right? Yolandi doesn't respond. Right? Repeats Sammy now having to scream over the shadow bird's volume. Yolandi nods a preoccupied and not at all convincing yes, shifting her attention to the sky. As long as the moon is out, it's very hard to hear her. As long as the sky is clear and its light remains, we will be safe here. The sound grows louder, promising nothing to feel safe about. What if it rains? Del asks loudly. What if it gets cloudy? A reasonable question. Clicking and gritting, the shadow bird's screams weave around us like a wild hive. The volume is deafening. Eyes still on the moon, Yolandi states the obvious. That would be bad. But we can't hear a thing.